It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. Paul Dennett, the award-winning cricket podcaster as part of Cricket Daily and also Cricket Unfiltered, joins us once again on the Overnight Crowd after a very intriguing day of Ashes cricket from the Gabba. G'day, Paul. G'day, Heater. How you going, mate? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. So thanks for the time once again. Uh, now, day one, day two, Australia well and truly on top as expected. And then today, the long-awaited English fight back with their skip, Joe Root, just simply unwilling to let the Aussies run away with it, wasn't he? Yeah, it's an extraordinary sort of turnaround. It was done... Day one and day two, dominated by Australia, and really the first half of day three as well. But uh, That first morning, Australia piling on the agony for England, and then two quick wickets, and it looked like it was only going one way, but that's the, the nature of test cricket. That just when you think you've got it worked out, the unexpected occurs. And uh, it's, England, they may well get something out of this test match, but they must still be looking back and think, we could not have done much more wrong in terms of Sending Australia, not not sending Australia in, picking the wrong side, dropping catches, having wickets taken off, no balls, doing everything um, to possibly lose it. And here they are, um, two wickets down, only 50-odd short of Australia and with a real chance of doing something on day four. Any highlights uh, for you across the first two days? I was going to ask for conclusions you're able to draw, but you've uh, drawn a few of them there about the English side already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, the first ball had to be the highlight, you know, that... Um, the Harmison ball that everyone's talking about 15 years later and um, older people are talking about the first ball of the ashes of 94-95 uh, when Michael Slater uh, banged a cut shot through through point for four and sort of set the tone for those ashes. And poor old Rory Burns. Um, this is going to be talked about forever and ever um, with, with him. So that was, that was certainly a highlight. Um, and, uh, you know, that day one uh, for Pat Cummins to take five wickets to absolutely everything uh, to go right for him was was pretty exciting as well. But then Travis Head, um, uh, I love seeing a player play their natural aggressive game in test cricket. And for all the talk of you've got to bat slowly and um, value your wickets, sometimes the the Adam Gilchrist style is the one that really works. And so uh, that was a refreshing, delightful inning. Played at a point where the test match was in the balance and it looked like it was going to be um, a definite match-winning innings for Australia. And then it's all been turned on its head. Australia obviously still in front, but things could get interesting on day four if England can survive. I think it's about 10 overs still the new ball. If they can get through that period, get through the new ball, get into the lead, Australia will be getting nervous pretty quickly. Just back on uh, Mitch Stark getting that uh, first baller uh, to start it all off. I'm not sure if they have a name for the duck on the first ball of the first test of a series. I've seen a few people banding about the crystal duck, though. Any thoughts on that, Paul? Well, I mean, you wouldn't want to call it the Burns duck. That's yeah. pretty nasty. Um, <laughs> they're talking about if you've got a, um, a king pair in, in, the, uh, in the match, that maybe they're trying to think of some sort of term for that, getting out of the first ball. Um, well, if it's going to be the first ball of both innings, then maybe that could have been called the right. Burns duck. But the stat that everyone's um, relating with great joy is that prior to this uh, innings, Burns had batted 54 times 
um, in test cricket. And on every occasion, except for two, he had faced the first ball. And the two occasions he didn't was when he'd opened with a night watcher. And so basically that was their job to take the new ball. And so because he was on the king pair, he said to his opening partner, Haseeb Mood, mate, you can take it. So I saw Izzy Westbury, an English um, commentator, saying, that's probably even a braver thing to do, knowing the sledging he'll cop from the Aussies when they realise that he didn't want to face the new ball, the first ball in the second inning. It doesn't raise your confidence for the rest of the Ashes series for Burns, does it? If that's already in his brain, uh, second innings of the first test. No, but I would have done the same thing because yeah. the one thing that could <laughs> destroy your confidence more would be to get out off the first ball of the um, of the second innings and. Oh, look, it's refreshing for me who I, I sort of like it when the Australians play with a bit more grace. I'm not sure if this Australian side would be quite um, uh, so keen to sledge. Under Pat Cummins already, they, they, they've got seemed to have a, a very pleasant disposition. Travis Head, when he got hit by the Beamer late on day two, um, was very gracious in the way that he handled it, uh, albeit it's a bit easy when you've got 100 not out and you realise you haven't been actually injured. But I'm really liking the, 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 the sort of gentlemanly, gentlemanly way that the Australians are playing the game. Uh, Kerry O'Keefe uh, saying today that Australia's inability to take wickets with the old ball has been and continues to be a massive problem for this team. Uh, do you have any ideas on just how they could try and fix that? Well, um, I think that firstly, you've got to accept that the pitch in this particular game has now flattened out considerably and that you just have to look at the, the, the difference in the way that it looked. They showed a highlight. that They showed that first ball again and I just uh, got a shock as to how much the pitch has changed in over the course of the match. So, when you've got Joe Root, who is clearly the best test batter in the world, and he's in the form of his career, then uh, on a pitch that's flattening out, it's kind of not surprising that he's going to score some runs. Uh, the, the intriguing thing is, why didn't Josh Hazelwood bowl anymore? He only bowled eight overs. And, you know, Pat Cummins and, and Josh Hazelwood are the, the two best bowlers we have by by a long way. Uh, I think it was um, Labashane plus Green bowled 11 overs. So... That doesn't make any sense. In the, in the post-match press conference, uh, um, Labashain said that there's, there's no injury to, to, to the Hazelwood and that they're um, mainly, mainly intending to keep him fresh for the next day. That just doesn't sound realistic. The, the, the time to bowl him was, was in that third session when he didn't get a bowl. So um, that was perplexing to me, and it'll be interesting to see if he, if he comes out and um, uh, takes, the, takes the ball tomorrow morning. Well, especially seeing as he's wearing Joe Root like a cheap suit at the moment. And, um, yeah, you would have thought he'd be getting through a lot of work seeing as how much Joe Root has been at the crease today. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that as I said before, if they, can, if they can get through that new ball, then the, the thing that's so dangerous about this England side that you look at the rest of their lineup, they are the, 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 the dream sort of team to have when they have a licence to play with freedom. Now, they don't have that licence yet, but if they could start to get to the point where they were getting a nice lead. Then you look at some of the, the players, Pope and Stokes and especially Butler, mm. and even um, Wokes can hit the ball. He's a very fine timer of the ball. Mark Wood can give the ball a, um, an enormous crunch with some skill as well. So they've got the side that if they happen to, you know, uh, heaven forbid, get to lunch without losing a wicket, they could really apply the pressure as the afternoon wears on. 
Yeah, Butler was already um, playing that way when they were, you know, five down for not mm. many in the first innings, wasn't he? So uh, he's looking for an excuse at the moment. Um, on to Pat Cummins, uh, captaining his first test, as you were saying, a bit of a dream start, uh, getting the five wickets in the first innings as well. As we see more of a defence from England in the second dig, are you starting to see any of the warning signs that we were told about with a bowler captain, you know, staying on too long with his own spells or not making the changes he should be making? No, I mean, I think that it's it's far too early to say that. I don't think that's it. that's going to happen uh, either. Um, the only thing is, why didn't Hazelwood bowl? And I think there must be some reason there that he, not necessarily saying that he's injured, but surely he's probably got something that was, he thought, look, I need to sleep on it and I'll be better tomorrow morning. I think that strategically to have held him back if there's nothing wrong with him, then I would say that's a mistake, but that's not a mistake caused by, um, exhaustion or anything else. That, that would be purely have been a team tactic, which I just can't imagine being the case. So I, I don't think that it matters that much because I think that there is the brains trust there, headed by Smith and others, and that the, um, the, the, the I think it's overstated how significant bowling changes are. And I mean, there's a well-worn quote from Richie Benno saying that uh, captaincy is... 90% luck and 10% ability, but don't try it without that 10%. And I think that's um, a fairly accurate way of saying it, that most of what you do as the captain is fairly standard, but just every now and again, it's that little bit of skill to that um, uh, key to be a- aggressive or make that smart move that, that makes the difference. The one thing that was a little bit disappointing, but I mean, he's in, in common with every other captain, is that he did start to push the field back more defensively as that partnership went on. And that just seems to be the modern trend. It doesn't please me, but that's the way that, that it seems to be done. Uh, Travis Head, unbelievable in his innings of 152 at better than a runner ball. He faced it all, including a head-high beamer. Uh, confidence showing, ticking off his selection and probably cementing his spot in the team as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite amazing how quickly things can change because he they had a, they flashed a graphic, graphic up on the screen making the point that there's been some very talented left-handed South Australians over the years who've not played as many test matches as their talent uh, you know, might have justified their David Hooks Darren Lehman, Wayne Phillips, and now um, Travis Head. But Travis Head, when they had him up there, because he was um, you know, not out uh, around about 100 at the time, already his test average is now sort of uh, marching nicely into the mid-40s. And, you know, once you get to that level, that is a, a career to be very, very proud of. You know, the old benchmark was if you can average above 40 in test cricket, then you've had a very good career. So, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's amazing what a few weeks can do. And, um, from being doubtful as to being in the side, uh, he could now face a very happy prospect of being a certain selection to, for the rest of the Ashes and then look forward to potentially seeing if he can um, make, uh, come to grips with subcontinental surfaces as that's what we're going to go for, for tours over the course of the next year or so. Alex Carey looking great in his first test outing with the gloves for Australia as well. He's been tidy, efficient, and we haven't really noticed him, which uh, some say is a good sign of a good keeper. Yeah, well, he certainly is a good keeper. He's a, um, a good player. Uh, didn't miss out with a bat in that, in that first innings, but I'm sure that that will change. And, um, yeah, I, I think that it, it's he, he's a guy that everyone seems to like as well. Um, I, 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 I've, I've, never, I've never met him, but I find myself warming to him from afar and wishing him to do well. And um, there's no reason to think that he won't. Yeah, certainly certainly looks like he's had a pretty tidy start to his um, career. Hasn't, hasn't needed to do too much, but what he's done, he's done well. Mitch Stark uh, with two wickets in the first innings, some nice lower order runs when he had a chance with the bat and then one so far in the second innings. How are you finding the output from uh, Mitch in this first test as far as his bowling output has gone? Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting because, I mean, up until the 
the the, the final third of today, um, then it was all rave reviews. And that's an important point you make around the, the lower order runs because he does score them. And I, I personally think he probably should bat above Pat Cummins. He yeah. should bat at number eight and Cummins at, at number nine. I really think that tomorrow is going to uh, ultimately decide the way that he is reviewed in this test match. That up till now, all the ticks for the um, fine first innings um, performance uh, got the wicket of Hamid, although you know it's a bit of a strangle down the leg side. It, it, it'll be interesting to see what he can do tomorrow. Can he come in, take a couple of quick wickets, and help inspire an Australian victory? Uh, on the flip side, if he goes the journey and um, doesn't look like he can deliver much, then some of those question marks will will start to, to, to reappear. I'm sure he's still going to be picked for the second test in, in Adelaide. Maybe that would uh, hurry up the notion of trying to get Richardson into the side for the third test. Outside of uh, the, you know, the first ball wicket from Mitch Stark, uh, Travis Head's 100 and the uh, great innings today from Milan and also Root, Josh Hazelwood's two catches in the first innings have been uh, just probably the top tier highlights of this test match so far. It's just unbelievable to see a fast bowler doing that, isn't it? Especially, um, I mean, not that tall people can't be athletic, but I, I can always remember one day at the cricket where I just happened to be sitting right at ground level and he was fielding near me. And I just looked at him and thought, he, he's so tall. You, you don't quite realise it on the television, that he is monumentally tall. And you would look at his body shape and say, in years gone by, he was someone that you would hide at fine leg yeah. and hope that the ball never went near him. Um, and I was I was watching the highlights of the... The famous 1981 test a while ago, where um, when Ian Botham won the game for England, and during the Australian innings when we got bowled out, Graham Dilly, the England fast bowler, took a catch on the fine leg boundary, and the commentators were raving about it. <laughs> and it was it was a sitter. I mean, by today's standards, it was just when it was it was high, and he got his hands to it, no problems at all. Uh, the, the two catches that Hazelwood took were were absolutely stunning um, in comparison to that. I think someone from 1981 would have. You, know, you wouldn't expect the best player in the team to do that. So it shows how much the standards have improved. And it also shows how hard and how professional, how professionally the Australians approach their cricket, that um, even a fast bowler like that can be relied upon to, to take um, really important catches. Well, that was the follow-up question. Can you imagine the quicks of the 70s and 80s making a dive for catches like that? So if they're you know, getting rave reviews for just a dolly uh, down at fine leg, there's no chance that they'd even be flying for things like these back then. <laughs> I suppose to be fair to them, what, what, what they probably say is that there would always be the one or two that were just naturally gifted. Yeah. And they would say, you know, the day after the, the game, that um, they were off to work in a nine-to-five job. They, they didn't have the luxury of practicing all day long. You, you hear it a bit in rugby league terms that, you know, these days every player can play can pass a 20-metre a torpedo pass and nail it straight to the to the receiver, whereas... You know, 30 or 40 years ago, the halfback might be able to do that and no one else. And so um, that's kind of maybe the standard that the very top fielders would have been top fielders in, in most eras. But those who might have been also rands have now, through the dint of hard work enabled by professionalism, raised their games as high as they possibly can. Staying on fast bowlers, uh, we knew days out from the start of the first test that Jimmy Anderson would sit for this match, but don't call it an injury though. And then Stuart Broad was not picked. <laughs> what sort of odds would we have gotten for, uh, for predicting that before the start of the series? Well, they've taken 1,100 uh, test wickets between them, so maybe 1,100 to one. <laughs> and um, yeah. I think the fact that you look at the, the, the bowling figures that um, poor old Jack Leach put up and you compare that to, to what, Stuart Mo- what Stuart Broad might have done, and it sort of harkens back to what I said at the start, that uh, England have done everything wrong, yet they are still in a very competitive position in the match. 
uh, it'll be interesting to see whether Jack Leach plays another plays uh, any further role in the series. To be fair to Jack Leach, he did pick up the first century on the tour for England, so you know he's got <laughs> that going for him. But what have you made of the selected England bowlers' efforts in the first innings? Um, on a bit of a hiding to nothing, um, but a couple of good signs uh, eventually emerging along the way. I've been very impressed with Mark Wood because I was um, a little bit dubious about this narrative that's been coming out of England for a couple of years now that the only way you can win in Australia is with a with with raw pace and. Um, I sort of said for every Mitchell Stark, for, for every Mitchell Johnson performance and Jeff Thompson performance back in the day, there's plenty of others um, that have bowled just at a at a more uh, sedate clip that have been yep. far have been extremely accurate and that that has been um, the key to success. And I thought Mark Wood, if he sprays it around too much, um, uh, could be a, a selection that they come to regret. But I thought he bowled excellently, and I thought that um, Ollie Robinson, as it was going to be the case, as expected bowled really well as well. Uh, he gave the England fans a scare, looking like he had a, come down with a bit of an injury, but he got through that. And I think that he's going to be someone who's going to be a real handful through, throughout the rest of the series. So when you factor in now that there are going to be two day-night matches um, in the remainder of the series, and you look at it, Anderson, Broad, Robinson, Wood, and Wokes will come into his own in those conditions as well. Um, yeah, the England bowling lineup is starting to shape pretty impressively. Their uh, second lineup, the England Lions, are in a match at the moment in progress uh, against Australia A. Michael Nessa doing himself favours of plenty there, having the Lions uh, batting lineup in absolute all sorts with a great five for as well, didn't he? Yes, he's kind of the forgotten man at the moment that um, he's been in and around the Australian setup for, for so long without cracking it through for a, for a test match. Um, you know, the. Next cab off the rank is going to be Jai Richardson, but we saw it with India last summer that they, through necessity, had to go through um, quite a few different options as far as bowling is concerned. So he's still there and thereabouts, and um, he w- he's another one that would be very favoured by, I think, those day-night conditions. So if he gets a pink ball in his hand at some stage later on in the series, it's certainly not beyond the realms of possibility that he could play a role for Australia. It feels like we know what the um, sort of possibilities or the prospects are for some of the bowling attack, but what about for the batting element of the Australia A squad? Is it just an exercise in having guys, you know, jogging on the spot in the right format of cricket in case of a worst-case injury scenario? I think it's also, um, you know, an an opportunity for them to uh, get a bit of red ball form um, before they then head off to sort of big bash cricket. Um, I I think it's also for Usman Khawaja... um, Especially, uh, it was an opportunity that so far he hasn't taken. He didn't, didn't make a score in the first innings. Not many of them did. But that they may well be considering Marcus Harris's position in the side. I think that they will, um, you know, as long as Australia don't lose this game. If Australia were to lose this game and he was to fail in the second innings, then the pressure would come right um, for that second test match because nothing galvanises selectors' determination more than a, a home loss in the ashes that, they, that, you know, they get very ruthless very quickly. If that wasn't to be the case, I think they will give him Adelaide, but I don't know that they'd give him much longer than that. If he failed in Adelaide, then maybe we could see um, Usman Khawaja come in as an opener. Thanks so much for the time once again, Paul. Uh, On the way out, mate, a prediction for the morning. Does Joe Root make his first Test 100 in Australia? Yes, I think he will. Um, uh, Yep, I think he will. And in terms of um, a prediction for the match, oh... um, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I can't quite believe it that Australia, I was looking at Crickbiz before I came on, that Australia is now only regarded as a 75% chance of winning. But we are a one in four chance of not winning this game where we've dominated it for so long. 
Um, I'll take the safe option and I'll say I still think that Australia will win, um, but I say that without much conviction and I might be asking you to delete this in a a couple of days' time. (laughs) No worries, mate. I'll uh, keep the finger hovering over the mouse button, but uh, great stuff, Paul. (laughs) Enjoy the rest of the test and also the weekend, mate, and we'll catch up again soon. Sounds good, Heather. Thanks, mate. Paul Dennett, the award-winning cricket podcaster, joining us on The Overnight Crowd. So if you'd like to hear a little bit more of uh, some Paul Dennett and get some more Paul Dennett into your life, go and search out the Cricket Daily and also Cricket Unfiltered podcasts. And uh, really thank Paul for his time and knowledge joining us on The Overnight Crowd as we look back on the first three days of the first Ashes Test. And uh, we would say Australia, Australia, day one, day two, maybe England as a vote on day three. So we've got 2-1 over the first three days, and uh, it is at, at that 75-25 in Australia's favour of just who will take out this Ashes first Ashes test. So let us know your thoughts, feelings, and opinions around the start of this uh, exciting series with uh, both teams out there at the moment getting into it, and so much still to come with Broad and Anderson to be added to that England lineup somewhere along this tour, 0433. 98 11 16 on the overnight crowd or 1300 736 736. Let your opinions be heard out there on the overnight crowd with Paul Heath on SEN. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain, or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.